Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I knew what I was going to do was going to be very special with my life. I'm an example just to show people that like, you come up from nothing. Prince had dedicated his whole legacy to celebrating women, celebrating women of color, and celebrating positive music. I'm going to uphold that. You're your own worst critic. I feel like you should be it anyways, but I, I'm always that, and I was just hating my song, so I was hating myself. Some people are at their cubicle job right now making way less than us. Some people are across the world in a goddamn sweatshop making like nothing a day, and we're getting paid to sing and dance. To sing and dance, that's a blessing. Artists out here, they're just willing to settle for anything. You know what I mean? And once you're willing to settle for anything, you deserve anything you settle for. Yo, this young murder. Yo, this is Lizzo. This is August Regal. What's good? It's Kehlani. This is your man, Blake Carrington. You're listening to The Come Up Show. Get inspired. Hey, welcome to The Come Up Show podcast. My name is Chetto. I'm the host and founder of The Come Up Show. And my guest today is singer-songwriter Myrna formerly known as Aya, and I've been a fan of her music for a long time, which is why when she released a new record, I had to have her on to talk about it, but also her journey in music. And boy, am I excited to share this conversation with you. Myrna talks about the decision she's made on how she's approaching her music, why it's not about ego anymore, it's just about sharing. The distinction she's made separating music as a business and music as an art. We also went back in history and she tells us about her unique upbringing, what it was like to work with DJ Jazzy Jeff, how she approaches fear, and so much more. Myrna, the Come Up Show podcast, let's go! Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Myrna. <laughs> Him talking, can you hear them talking? Talking about we be splitting with the problem. Yeah, yeah, they wanna see us fall. Yeah, they wanna see us fall. Yeah, they wanna see us. Won't crucify me. I won't crucify my love. Myrna, welcome to the Come Up Show. <laughs> Thanks. It's been a long time coming. It has been a I long time coming. I interviewed you years ago at Revival or Mar Club downstairs somewhere. I remember. And I think we did a phoner too once. Nope, we didn't do a phoner. Are you sure? Maybe. You might I have think a better we did. memory. I think we did. You might have a mem- better memory mm-hmm. than me. But uh, yeah, yeah, you, you've been around. Uh, uh, there's a new uh, new record that you released not too long ago. Yeah. How do you pronounce it? Sans? Sans or Sans. Sans. And it's French? It's French. For not the not the album, but the title. It, yeah. <laughs> for without. That, that's pretty important. For without. And it's called uh, the definition is without. Yeah. And this is the second album under your name, Myrna. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did it mean to make this record? To put this out to the world? Uh, to make it meant one thing, to put it out meant another. Uh, which one do you want me to answer both? Uh, yeah, start with like to make it. Uh, t- okay, so to make this album uh, was a pretty big deal because... Right before this album, I I declared I would never write a song again. Like, I just was, I was having a really tough time, and I just decided, like, I don't know what happened, but emotionally, I was like, I'm never going to write a song again. I don't think I can write any more songs. Um, I was really sad and depressed. And then, uh, and then I was really alone. So, like, everybody I'd been working with production-wise, like, was gone. Not anything bad, but just got busy doing their own stuff. So I was literally alone, depressed, like relationship wise. And then I was alone, depressed work wise. And so I literally, it was just me and in a bedroom in my mom's house in Stouffville with all of my equipment. And I was like, okay, so I guess now is the time for me to get back on my keys. And I didn't. So I made the album. And so that was really cool. Um, yeah. And then putting it out and then, and then, so then I'd made it. Um, and then after I'd made this album, I was going through the process of separating from separating the idea of um, music as a career or music as a business and music as my art. Because somewhere along lines, you get confused and you entwine the two and you start to feel like the business is you and you're the business and the art and the business are one. And whether you make it monetarily or not, it is, is, a, def- is a reflection of yourself. It's just like it gets really personal. Um, so I'd, I'd been going through that transition as well now. Um, by the time I wanted to, I was thinking about releasing it. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to release this. This is just for me. Um, 
and or, you know, to, to chop, to sample, like to give to 40 for views or to like, you know, give to doc for whatever, or like just to do those things. Um, so then King Rain passed away. But before he passed away for the week he was in the hospital, we were in the hospital. And I was sitting. You visited him. Yeah. And I was sitting in the waiting room with Sate, a really good friend of mine. And she was like, dude, what are you waiting for? Da, da, like the time. Look at what we're doing here. And I think at the same time, well, maybe maybe a little bit later, but made sense. Jazzy Jeff and like a whole bunch of things happened in the universe that like caused me to put this out. But Jeff and um, I think it was Glenn Lewis put out this record playlist and he has like a skit on there and he goes, die. it's called Die Empty. And so like all of these things happening, I'm like, OK, we're going to die empty. So like, let's put this stuff out. So I put out the record. So it meant a lot because I wasn't going to do it anymore. And doing it this time wasn't for anybody but myself. It was it's now about sharing. It's not about anything else. I, and I think that's what you said like yeah. uh, when I saw the show promo, mm-hmm. like the video, it's about, you said it's about you and the fans, not about mm-hmm. sales, branding, mm-hmm. identity, all this type of, it's just direct relationship. I'm here in my glasses. Like I would have never shown up to interview with my glasses. Like that's the type of shit I'm talking, oh, can I swear? Yes, that's, you can. Oh, great. That's the yeah. type of shit I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, you know, just to be like, okay, you know what? Like F all this, like I'm just doing me, I'm doing this for fun. I'm doing, that's, that's all it's about. And the rest is great. Like if people are like, hey, I love how you look like you don't care. Or like, oh, I love how you just, it doesn't sound finished, this album. But actually, okay, I like this. Like if that's, if that's what it is, that's like the cherry on top. That's great. That's the icing. Mm. And if it's not, it was cool because I'm having fun for once again. Which which is pretty important. Yeah. And uh, uh, you talked about like you know the the kind of the path of like you being successful as a business entity mm-hmm. rather than just is just for me. This is my art. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the beginning, usually in the beginning of every artist's career, mm-hmm. you just start out because you're doing this because you love it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Night and day, like in the basement, literally, it was like making beats. Yeah. Recording, mixing, whatever it is. Yeah. And then you know, might get serious enough, or people might say you have you start having these expectations for you, mm-hmm. and and we we always hear that about the, you know like you know sometimes it might be unfair to put that much pressure on your art, the mm. thing that you love to mm-hmm. like choke it if you're not pre- mm-hmm. producing dollars, well, anything, anything just to choke anything. Yeah. yeah, if you're not making that monetary or whatever those success results can be, you, you can you can kind of kill it. Yeah, hundred percent. Were you at that? Like, did you come close to killing it? Yeah, I guess not. Not did. well. Not artistically. Yeah. Not art, like not artistically. Yeah. Like it was. It's be, creating has always been fun. It never stopped being fun. Like whether I was doing stuff with Jeff or myself or whoever, whatever I was doing. Like make the makings of was never a drag. Like that always stayed fun. Life became a drag because then you're like, okay, I'm having such a great time in the studio. I'm I'm high. Like I feel high. Like I'm not literally high, but I feel high, and it's it's equivalent equivalent to a regular like drug high. And so I'm like high off this music. I'm bouncing off the walls. I'm ecstatic, or you know I'm in LA doing whatever for three weeks, and then you come home and you're like, and I'm in my parents' house, and I have no money, and I have no life, and I've sacrificed everything. What the hell? And now you're at like one, after like weeks of being at ten and thirty and like chilling with everybody. And then you're like, okay. And so that part becomes a drag. And that drag gets lower and lower and lower and lower. And that's the biggest problem. So it, the, the creating was never an issue. Like, I was always still having fun. Everything I made, I was true to. Mm-hmm. Um, the only times it, writing was a job is if we're like, oh, let's write for Rihanna today. Like, which that was still fun. Because then you're like, oh, you put on a, you know, you're a method actor now. You know, so it's cool. I wonder how that process is yeah. of uh, writing for other people. Uh, how's that different? It shouldn't be different because, like, I hate to like bring people up, but like, 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 like a really good mentor of mine always says, like, it's don't write, like, don't write as if you're writing for a person. Write as if you're writing from your heart because those are the songs that will sell. So it's not supposed to be different. It's supposed to be the same. But for some reason, you get into this mindset and you're like, well, what's her life about? And you kind of have to think a little bit about in context about like, what does this person want to sing about or rap about or talk about? Like, did they just break up with somebody? Are they happily married? Did they just have twins? So you're writing for Beyonce. You're not going to write like, I don't know. I mean, maybe you are because she's still, you know, song-wise still while in the club or doing whatever. But like, it just, you kind of have to be in context of that person's life. But outside of that, it shouldn't be different. Um, it just starts to feel a little pressureful when you it, see again. It's not the writing; it's like you're chasing placements. So that's a drag, right? So it's not the creation of; it's what you, it's the business of, and that's where I had to be like, oh, okay, I have to separate these two things because they're not the same. Mm, that still happens. The business, the music business part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The I gotta live part. I'm a starving artist part. Like I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm gonna die part. That's the part. Hmm. Yeah. And so where where are you at now? What are your? There, is there any expectations in terms of this yeah. record, Sons? 
no, I'm not starving anymore. I have a job and like another job. And like it stimulates another part of my brain and and I spend more quality time on music. Like I and my shows are easier to do because I'm not as anxious because there's not as much on it. So I can't hear my heartbeat anymore when I get on stage. Like it's fun now again, You like in terms of the drag part. So that being said, I don't have expectations. I have like, you know, hopes or like that would be nice. I have a lot of those. That would be nice. Um, but in terms of solid expectations, I don't have them anymore because expectations are the devil. It's horrible. Mm. It's, it's not to say don't set goals or don't try for things or don't have ambition because I have all those things. And I still dream without limits. Um, I'm just not married to, to the end results of anything. But in the meantime, you're going to continue to work on your craft? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. So let me just stop being like so like. Woo-woo. Okay, so um, coming down off the clouds a bit. Like, yeah, we're pushing the album. We're like, I'm gonna do more shows because that's fun. Um, definitely maybe sync opportunities because that's where you make your money off music these days. So that would be great. Um, and then like, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, thinking like, hey, like let's sample my stuff. So that's gonna be my, like my new thing where I'm just gonna hit up all my producer friends and be like, sample my stuff give me sample fees like publishing 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 so like that's another really cool avenue and yeah. all this isn't fun so yeah isn't fun he said it's in fun yeah it's in yeah, fun yeah, yeah, okay yeah. and like directing videos and like i'm, I'm doing documentaries I, I did like three videos for this album that'll come out in the next couple of weeks mm-hmm. stuff like that you were talking about you know when you were uh in your mom's house in mm-hmm. Stoffel, and mm-hmm. uh recording making this record mm-hmm. and you said your producer friends got busy mm-hmm. and you were left to your own devices mm-hmm. and you're alone what did that feel like like shit because <laughs> you're like okay i'm alone and i f- you feel abandoned you feel neglected you like you feel very happy for them but you feel really down on yourself right like okay well then i'm not priority enough or like oh, all these questions like well how come okay everybody got busy to go do stuff that makes them money okay because i don't make anyone money okay so then it's like it's very personal even though it's not right because these are like my bestest of friends like music is very personal and everybody or most people that i've collaborated with closely or for long periods of time i'm very close with like on a family vibe so it feels kind of that way but it's like actually a blessing because I would have never made this album otherwise and been a producer in my own right and like I'm producing other artists now or like working with so that's really exciting mm-hmm. yeah. so you learn a lot on your own 100% like what, what what did you teach yourself what did you learn no so I learned yeah. a lot from them so like okay. for example like I sent I would send Doc stuff as I'm doing it and he's like F you, you like, you took all my shit. And I'm like, yeah, I did. What do you mean? Like, I'm not going to be sitting here for like three years and not take all your shit. But um, that being said, <laughs> so it, I learn a lot from the people I work with for sure. But then, you know, being alone, you're like, you just kind of put all that to practice. Um, yeah. So do you feel kind of empowered or like, because mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. controlled sometimes is pretty important too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like when you rely on people and they're not there or they can't be there for you mm-hmm. and it's up to you did you, did you take some of that control back I guess yeah of course of course but but nobody ever took that control from me and I think it's important to like tell people like it's you don't nobody takes the control from you like you give it up or like you don't go produce because you have producers so you get dependent on or you put your eggs in a basket but like nobody's ever telling you to do that well at least not me in my career like nobody ever said I'm gonna be the one put all your eggs in this basket I'll carry them for you don't worry about it nobody's ever said that to me I've always just been like, oh, my God, maybe this is the ticket. I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket. And nobody's told me to do that. You know, so and that's where you kind of have a downfall is like you should always be somewhat independent um, mentally. Like I've always been an independent artist and a person. But I just mean like in terms of in that in context of what I'm saying, like. Have you felt that feeling before when you were like alone by yourself, like in terms of mentally, like or is this your first time that you felt this feeling of like, oh, I'm by myself, I'm lonely, I'm alone. I gotta do this by myself. Oh, no, I am. Yeah. All artists feel lonely. I think all the time. Well, at least me. So, <laughs> not so much anymore. And but yeah, did you kind of like vow or like say I'm not gonna be in this place again or? or no, or, no, yeah. like no. The old, I just I just was depressed and then it just came to me and then I was good. Mm. Okay, so we're gonna go. <laughs> we're gonna take it back right now uh, because uh, you have a unique background and I think it's okay. important uh, to tell our listeners. You know. Uh, you're you're born in Jordan, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. And how long were you in Jordan? For? I lived in Jordan for three years. Three years, yeah. like the first three years. Of my life. first three years of life. And then? And then I moved to Saudi Arabia for a year. Where in Saudi Arabia? 
In Riyadh. In Riyadh, okay. Yeah. I live in Jeddah until I was oh, 10 right. years old. Uh, in Riyadh yeah. for a year and then? A year. And, okay. then, and then I moved to Scarborough. I was a VP in Lawrence for like four and a half years, caught the passport, and then we were like, peace out. and went to Abu Dhabi. And then I spent my formidable years. Hold on. You went from Scarborough, to, I mean, from, went from Saudi Arabia to Scarborough. Yeah. Okay. And then to Abu Dhabi. Your family, your whole family. Yeah, everybody. Okay. And then I was in Abu Dhabi for seven years, I would say, until mm-hmm. I was about oh, turning 15. And then I lived in Seattle for a year in Washington. And then I lived there for a year. And then we came back here and we lived in Markham for my last two years of high school. Mm-hmm. And then I went to college in Scarborough and then I moved to New York. And well, no, then I was in Delaware a lot. And then I moved to New York. And yeah. now I'm back. Now you're back. <laughs> and I wonder what all these, all moving around and you know, uh, moving around all, from all these different locations, like mm-hmm. how that shape you? Oh, I mean, it does. I mean, it, it, it misshapens you, if that's a word. Like it disfigures you for a while. Because it, it kind of allows you to put on a lot of different identities. Like, because you're like, who am I? Am I Arab? Am I Western? Am I Eastern? Am I, what are my values? What are my traditions? What religion do I believe in? Like, is it okay to be with a boy? Is it not okay to be? Is it okay to think about sex? Is it not okay? Like all of these things kind of like hit you more than I guess the average adolescent when you're living like between West and East and you're kind of a mixed kid in your own right, like culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely affects you, um, but that like in, in weird ways, but then also in good ways because then I'm a chameleon. Then I like all types of music. Then I like, then I'm, I, I like all types of cultures. I like, you know, I'm, I'm culturally enriched, I would say, you know what I mean? And that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing it does is it, it, oh, it gave me a lot of separation anxiety when I was younger and about grade five, I started to freak out and I had like my first bout of anxiety and that lasted with me for a very long time. Um, so it's good and bad things, right? Like, yeah. And so is like by separation anxiety, what do you, like, what does that exactly mean? Yeah. So like my first thing was, oh my God, I can't be without my mother. And I was in grade five. I was fine. I'd been going to school for years. Like it wasn't a problem. But then all of a sudden, I think she got a job and it was like, oh my God. And I would call her like 50 million times a day or like play sick with the nurses or like try to go home or, you know, just so this kind of thing of, of, I think it's like having material things or having a safety or stability and that constantly being taken from you. Mm-hmm. And you, so, so if things change, it's very hard, right? So it's, it's not being good with change and in that change is separation. So separation from things or people. So I think when that happened, it like I'd moved maybe four or five times by then schools and no, like multi- more with schools and apartments and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So nothing was very stable in that way. Um, but this moving, your whole family's moving. The still whole family as unit. a unit. Yeah. But you're in the same city, say in Scarborough, and you're in school, and she's at work in the same Scarborough, and you're you're like, where's my mom? Like you wanted to go back home. This to was her? in Abu Dhabi. Okay, in Abu Dhabi. This was okay. in Abu Dhabi. So okay. this was I was ten years old. So we had just moved back there from Scar. Well, from well, not back there, but we'd moved well back to the Middle East. But we'd moved to Abu Dhabi from Scarborough. Mm-hmm. I think by then we I had moved. F- five six times apartments and schools or something like that Mm -hmm. and i was nine or ten so then yeah so then i had moved schools another apartment um and i just like i don't know and then she got this job and i freaked out and my youngest sister was like old enough to go to school so my mom went back to work and then i freaked out um and i just couldn't be in that school and then so institutions do something weird to me like when i'm in a school like even if i'm in here like reverson like i'll feel i'll start to feel like i'm trapped Mm. Like I have no control. Like it starts to feel awkward. Why? I don't know. You had no idea. Because maybe that's where like my first bouts of anxiety were, and and I had no control. And I was a kid, and the teachers wouldn't let me leave, and the principal was mean, and like you know all these things. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. So uh, the musical like influences, like your parents' collection. Like what are you? What are you? What are you listening yeah. to? What are you being? introduced and uh, exposed to so yeah so like Arab music is like really big obviously and like culturally music plays a big part in your life so there's always been that like young young Um, but then like my mom brought home all the pop stuff so like Mariah Carey Janet Jackson like Paul Abdul Madonna stuff like that so I grew up on that from her end and then my dad grew up in England um, most of his life well his teenage to adult life and so he'd bring home you know like the Beatles and Bob Marley and stuff like that so then I had that influence and then and then my own stuff so then like when I was in Abu Dhabi I was like and I often forget this but I I was in a rock band and I was the lead singer in this rock band and I was like 12 so that's cool what was the name of the rock band great test I think great test great test great test I think okay you're not gonna find anything on it but that was like my first, I don't know if you're Googling, but yeah, that was my first, um, like, 
and we were actually recorded at a college at the women's college over women's college so that's where we recorded in their studio mm. so yeah so then there was like that rock influence and then i moved to seattle right at the, the height of that and so i'm like oh my god nirvana and like da 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 and so yeah. i was like really hyped to be there in grade 10 mm. and then moving back here then toronto gave me so much hip-hop again although i did have like i remember one birthday in abu dhabi someone brought me the tupac album the all eyes on me or whatever so like it, there was still some hip-hop but i was just like into rock and then i moved here and it was like hip-hop central you know like the days of riley's and like all these other great hip-hop events and so yeah so then there's a whole bunch of influences i don't know so when you were growing up and like in toronto Scar in scarborough mm -hmm. like were you like the weird kid or or no in terms of your taste your likes of like i don't think you know, so i don't think so i just remember yeah. i had a birthday party once i invited a bunch of people and nobody came except for my family and then my aunt made me feel better i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe i was a weird kid i don't know i don't feel it because well like what did people like also think you were like in terms of your background did well, Scarborough has black? a lot of Arabs. Did they think you're... Well, maybe not in Scarborough yeah. at the time yeah. because Scarborough is like Arab, like it's a lot of Arabs, especially like VP and Lawrence area where I lived. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think I had issues there. Like now and even these days, I think everybody thinks I'm whatever they are. So like Persian people be like, oh, you're Persian. Like Indian people be like, oh, you're Indian. Or like Arabs, oh, you're definitely Arab. Um, um, yeah, a lot of my black friends are like, oh, are you black? Like, people don't know. If I'm in New York, people think I'm Spanish. Like, no, they have no idea. I don't know. Hmm. I'm clear on what I am, but it doesn't, I'm just human. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> All these divides, right? Like, who cares? All these divides. So that's uh, that's so you know you're going you're listening to, you're being exposed to all these different types of music mm. from all, everywhere in the world and you're here in Toronto you get the hip hop. Uh, when did it you know when did actually you become like to sing? When did you start singing? What was it like a showcase in high school or something like that or where did it start? So I think I think I always wanted to be on stage because when I was two or three like they would take me to like dinner sing thing like performance dinner concerts things in jordan i'd like run up on the stage so apparently i like to be on stage but i my earliest memory of like wanting to be heard and not necessarily being a good singer but like wanting to use my voice was in in elementary school singing oh canada in the morning and i'd want to sing it like the loudest and i'd want the teacher to hear, like hear me and so that's like my first initial and then from there it was just like oh, we're hanging out in class and somebody wants to hear their song and I was like the personal jukebox. They're like, hey, we're going to sing this. So I was like, oh, I might be, I must be a little bit something. Although I, I threw out tapes three years ago. I had like, I heard 15-year-old tapes of me doing Celine Dion and I threw them out so quickly. I was so embarrassed. <laughs> it was bad? Yeah, yeah, but I thought it was good and like, I think I sang at my grandparents' like anniversary or something, 50th, 60th or something, but it was horrible. <laughs> so but everybody bad. encouraged you. Yeah, they did. They really <laughs> encouraged me. Yeah, they did. So when did it come to like actually getting on record then like making a song with somebody and like or getting into a studio or like yeah. you know somewhat uh, serious? Yeah, I think yeah. the first studio was in Abu Dhabi in the rock band. Okay, right? so, so you guys were actually in studio. Okay. Yeah, yeah, at the women's college. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, like when did like from there your... from there I left it yeah. alone, and then I was in Seattle. I was a weird kid for sure. Um, so then I moved to Seattle, and that was a little weird. And then when I came back here, like it was like playground ciphers so like the guys were rapping and then me and my really good friend at the time alicia were singing who oh, i have to credit some of my singing to her even though we're not friends anymore but yeah so and, and just singing in the cypher and then the guys were like hey can you come to the studio and record a hook and so then mm. you'd start going to studios here with these random like high school playground rappers <laughs> that was fun mm -hmm. <laughs> and what was the first pro what was the first project that you put out oh man Like like real project or like EPs and EP yeah like music a collection of music that you recorded like in terms of your solo like might have been like Aya. the Aya Tunes EP or something Aya Tunes EP no there's something before that but it's a secret so this is your band camp right here that's I, not it I alludes two thousand seven no, no. no no it was earlier it was like two thousand five certain people have it you know what is it called it's it's like it was a physical it was just something okay. that i did to like have something to sell so i literally was at dundas square and wherever else like buy my cd buy my cd and like making people buy them mm -hmm. out the backpack it was itunes ep itunes ep itunes eager eager did the art on it you know artist ear yeah and that was in 05 i don't know yeah maybe, maybe. what was after that then um there's, there's, see, there's little things that nobody knows about. But then the thing that this everyone knew about was... This is about. Let's yeah, give yeah. us the gems. Let's go. I don't go. remember. But then there, the, <laughs> the main thing after that was Problem Woman, which was a mixtape that I did. Yes. Um, 
that was the, the first real that was the first real thing with a push with a publicist stuff like that like exactly I really, yeah because i do remember that Problem i remember women. the the artwork for that mm-hmm. and um that's what like got you on what blogs and all that type mm-hmm, of stuff mm-hmm. That was the first one, and mm-hmm. what was that like? Putting that out, having a PR, and like getting that was cool, man. Yeah. Like, and I got and I got a lot of looks and support. Like, people really cared. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> it was really cool. You had what? You have no, you had no expectations, or you, did you have expectations? At oh, the time? I, I've always yeah. wanted to be a superstar, so I had expectations of superstar at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't quite happen. But you know, not at um, not at like any cost, right? Like, so I had standards about what that meant or like limitations around what that meant so i don't think i ever made it truly possible for me to be like that kind of superstar because i was never going to sacrifice the things that you need to to do that but um yeah that was fun i I got a lot of really good looks and and i remember the first show i ever did i i i had seen so i had i had seen zaki do revival and then i saw her do mod club and i like used to look up to this girl and we weren't zaki yeah yeah who's a friend of mine now but we weren't friends at the time like i just didn't i was just a fan and i remember seeing and i'm like i want to do revival and then i'm gonna do Club. like she had a team with her but i was like i'm gonna do it Mm. and so i did it i did a revival and we packed out that place and i and and that was my first show and it was the release show for problem woman and it and and the most packed show for a very long time, even with other projects. So that was really important for me. Uh, well, what was that like, bringing all those people out? And yeah, it was like, crazy. Yeah? Yeah, it was crazy. Good moments, good, good times? Good times. Was there anybody on stage with you, like rappers? Yeah, I had a... No, I, well, yeah. I don't... Mm, yeah, maybe I brought up Tona. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a full band. I had three singers. And um, one of them you saw at my last show with me still, Leah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it was great. It was so much fun. What what kind of rush do you get off of like doing a show like that and when it's you know all the people coming out supporting and there is it like validation? Maybe before now yeah. it's just like now I can't have it be that, you know like I can't even go there like it can't be about that like it's just like okay we're all friends and we're all in a room and we're all gonna share <laughs> it has to be like a kumbaya moment for me not to get nervous. Mm. So like you're yeah. very. You, you've, yeah, because it's nerve-wracking, right? Like, if you put your name on the line, you're, like, the headliner or whatever, you're the only person, forget the money you're spending and all that other stuff. You're just like, okay, your ego like is on the line, essentially. And so if I allow my ego to actually be on the line, which it very so easily can be, then then it's horrible. Then it's scary. You're like, are people here? Are people here? Are people here? You're constantly looking around. Like, it's horrible. So you get really nervous. But, um, no, I didn't do it this time. Well, I did a little before, but not the night of. Not the night of. Yeah, you were just. What What was your state of mind the night of? Uh, you did the just the, the last break? one. Yeah. I, well, I was starting to get nervous, but then I just decided to woosah and remember what this was about, which is just sharing. So as soon as I bring myself down to like, this is just sharing. This is why you're doing this now. Then I was okay. Mm. I th- so you. It seems like you've made it like a very clear now distinction. Mm-hmm. Like you. you no, how you don't you understand. Even it. if I did Super Bowl tomorrow, it'd be this is just sharing. This isn't about doing better job than Beyonce. Like it wouldn't, it can't be that ever, ever again anymore. Like I'm using big names, but you guys get. Yeah, what I'm yeah, no, well, like that's a, that's a great example. Mm. You're, you're, no matter what happens, you may be successful, like in, yeah, like yeah. a crazy. But, you, but, but I, I personally have yeah. to be like, this is just about art. This is just about sharing. That's it. You always have to continue repeating that mm-hmm. to yourself, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to let yourself down? No, because it's or... like it's BS. Like life is about greater things like sharing. Like life is not about numbers and billboards and all these other things. Like the, that's not actually worth anything. Like that doesn't like that doesn't really do anything for your life or the lives of us. Like that's not really a big deal. Like it's only a big deal with numbers and money. And and yes, when you get onto a platform and that on that level, you can affect the world and change and things like that. And for that reason, it's important. But that's the only reason it's important. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Like it has not, it ha- can't have anything to do about ego. It's not about ego anymore. So, because I'm a human, when the ego starts to creep in, then I have to be like, stop it, chop it down. Yeah. I, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Uh, so, Problem Woman, mm-hmm. and then what, 415 after that? Mm-hmm. That was, that was, how was that? Like the response of that and putting that out? That was fun. And, uh, and the response could have been great, mm-hmm. but I got. Like I put, I basically took all my eggs away from four fifteen and threw them in the Jazzy Jeff basket. So I was like, whatever, I don't even care about this. Like I put it out, and then we started working on an album together. And then I was like, oh, whatever. 
Is that at that is that that time is when Jazzy Jeff uh, came across your music? Yeah, or? no, I spammed oh. him with Problem Woman, and then it was about like a year and a half of like, hey, you ready to work? Hey, you ready to work? Hey, you ready? Hey, what are you doing? Hey, can I come? Me? So he heard Problem Woman. He heard Problem Woman. Said this is great. I'd love to work with you. Yeah. Um, when I get free, and then I harassed him for about a year and a half. <laughs> and how did you har- like? I wonder. Just emails like every emails. every couple months, like, yeah. "Hey, how are you doing? Like, um, do, you know, are you ready to work on this thing? Or, hey, if you have a good time, maybe I'll come out to Delaware because he used to live in Delaware. Well, he still does. He's in Delaware, and my aunt lives in Delaware, and so I spent a lot of my summers in Delaware in the past. So it seemed like the serendipitous thing, and she lived five minutes away from him. I'm like, wow. hey, and then finally he was like, "Yep, I'm free this weekend. I'm gonna fly you out. Flew me out, not weekend. I think it was longer than that, and it was great." And then that that started like a three or four year journey of like just working with Jeff. And back for more was, mm-hmm. was that the first record? Yeah, so or we, you we had like a bunch. We, yeah, we yeah, had like yeah. a bunch of music, and then I did South by Southwest, and we thought, hey, like it's a good idea to have things to give out. So we put together a mixtape called This Way, so that came out first. Mm-hmm. Um, that had snippets from what would have been on Back for More, and then a potential next album that never came out yet. What did that mean to like you know like when you got the news that he's gonna fly you out? You're in his studio. Like I made it. I'm gonna make it. Yeah, you're gonna take me everywhere. Can you take me to that moment in your mind? Like what was? Take us through that moment. It's literally like holy shit! I made it. Oh my god, this is the biggest deal in the fucking world. Like, yeah, like oh my god, like Jazz Jeff and like Joe Scott and like you know all the things and Fresh Prince and like holy shit! And so you literally freak out and and that's crazy. That's so funny. And the, how was the vibes in terms of like being in studio and recording and making music? Not about that at all. Like all that moment that I just had before, it had nothing to do with that. It was like real people, real vibes, no starstruck bullshit. Like it was so cool. Jeff is super cool and very quickly brings you down to earth. Like very quickly. Not in like a rude way or me, just in the key so cool and humble and normal. And then you're like, that, oh. Okay. You have to model that. Yeah. And then you're yeah. like, okay, this is normal. And then, you know, like... And then, like, you're staying in his house, and you're in the studio in the basement, and, like, his sister's there, and, like, the dog's there, and the cat's there, and, like, you know, his girlfriend was there. Like, you know, it's very, it was a very chill family vibe, and so quickly you fall into family. With Jeff, very quickly, if, well, not maybe not everybody, but, like, very quickly you can fall into family. And so that's a really cool thing. And so that was, and so that was my, quote-unquote, like, I guess, first big or whatever person that I'd worked with. Who I'm so grateful that that was my experience because other people don't have those experiences or don't have those nice experiences. And so that kind of set my standard for everybody I would work with in the future. Although before that, of course, was like Slack and everybody else. But I just mean in terms of reputation and like status in the industry, like it was a really good experience. And when they came out, when those, the album came out, yeah, like, super what proud. was it like? Yeah, like super proud, really excited. Like the music really videos, exciting. everything, getting the American press, picking up Very a lot exciting. of stuff. Very exciting. A lot of exposure. Like exposure I haven't had since. And I don't know if I'll have again, but it was a lot of exposure. We had a lot of downloads and purchases. Like it was really great. Hmm. So what happened after that? Yeah. After that, we did another thing called Back for More. And that was great. Um, and then 
and then I just decided, and then, well, not decided, but I started working with this guy who lives in Ajax. Well, I was living in New York at the time, and it was a producer that I knew for, like, so many years. Um, and he started to send me this music, and it was, like, this different vibe, and it was so theatrical and dramatic, and I'm, like, hella dramatic and theatrical. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is everything. And I'd been talking to him about the sound that I wanted to produce, and I think this was, like, after Adele came out or something. And, like, I'm like, oh, I just want to go bigger and, like, bigger and strings and all these things. And we literally threw up all of those things into this album called The Calling, which I was very proud of. I, I, I literally, I'm like, I'm working on my opus. Nobody speak to me. This is my opus. So... Yeah. Who was the uh, guy from Ajax? Uh, Makai Black. Makai Black. Yeah, he's very quiet. I don't know if you'll ever hear of him, although you should. He's really great. Hmm. I was like, ah, this is amazing. And was Ali Shahid Mohammed worked on that record too, or no? Yeah. So, so, yeah. so Makai and I got it to like a certain place, and then I'd been, I'd been. What did I, have? I had like a series of. Well, I've known Doc for years, but like a series of meetings about the music, and I'd played him the album. To an, to an to extent, McKinney. yeah, okay. and he was like, "Whoa, this is really dope." I want to get involved. I'm like, "Cool." And then he had a he had a session with Ali and John Legend one day, and then the, the same day or something, or the day after, I went in there to meet them, and so I was hanging out with them, and then I met Ali that day in Toronto, in Toronto, and like they both loved it. And anyways, we just hit it off as like a friend group, anyway. Mm-hmm. And then we were just like three's company for a long time. So. <laughs> That was fun. Anyway, so everybody loved it, and then um, and then Ali ended up mixing the record, and he may have mastered it. Yeah, he mastered it as well. So like, yeah, he executive produced the record, and he we did two songs on three songs on there, me and Ali. Mm. Yeah. And what was it, what did that mean? Ali Shahid Muhammad from a track yeah. called Quest. Yeah, really working great. Working on your record. Really great. He's great. He's a really really good guy. Really really good guy. Super talented, and like obsessive about music. Like and like the kick and the EQ on the kick. I hope he hears this. this is really, I'm gonna send this to him actually. Really like really like obsessive. Like hours and hours and days and days just like on a kick and like the sound of the one kick and the EQ of the one. like so really obsessive and um really educational. So I learned a lot from those guys. What did you learn? Well, how to mix a little bit and like you know how to be really committed to your craft. How to rewrite a song fifty million times, like even when you think it's great, mm. like best idea wins. Like, kind of dissecting what I did because up until that point and kind of still now a little bit, like five minutes to a song and then that's it, it's done. Like I don't spend too much time on music, like on a song. Like it's literally I do it and then I'm like, this is great. Where it's like, okay, how about you do it? That's a draft and then you come back to it and you edit it a bit and then maybe you like fix it a little bit or like, hey, maybe you look at your top line and say like, is the story really making sense here? Is the story really done here? Like, what are you really trying to say? So really kind of critiquing and dissecting your art from those guys Hmm. for sure. Discipline. They're very, very disciplined. Were you frustrated sometimes with Ali, though? Come on, like Ali, Mm-mm. you spend a million fucking takes on this thing. Not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. Mm-mm. Or no, did no. It, there's did always it, a did... point. It's not to do it just to do it, right? Like yeah, it's yeah. perfect. It's perfect. Nobody's like disputing that. It's yeah. no, no. Mm-mm. Or you could be like, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm supp- like, I'm appreciative he's spending this much time on my music, as well. You could say like, yo, he really cares. Of course, he really cares. Yeah, both of them. They're not working on anything they don't care about. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Nobody has time for that. And how did you meet up? Uh, with Doc, like, how do you? How did that relationship start? A friend of ours, a mutual friend named Terrell, also known as Thrysite, who was a drummer for me for a very long time and a producer. He actually did in my lifetime. I don't know if you remember that song. Off four yeah. fifteen. Off four fifteen. There's a yeah. music video. The record by Fantu's <laughs> last name. Fantu Marcus. And who's uh, Teddy Phantom's brother? Yes. Too, who's an artist? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so thrice I like was a friend of mine since I was young, and he actually used to have a studio that we used to use in Scarborough. So I guess Doc and him were friends as well, and Doc used to use that studio. So I'd seen him around in Scarborough and like knew him for a long time, but like nothing really um, clicked music wise. And then, and then I don't know how it came about him again, but I just I remember just calling him saying I'm working on my opus and I want you to hear it. And I think you'll like it. Hmm. And he did. So you, you like you from the start called the calling your opus. You already knew, mm-hmm. and it didn't. Did it choke it? Did it like add too much pressure at all? Or no? Yeah, hundred percent. Of course. Of tell course. me about that. What <laughs> when you call something your opus and you're like, of course, but yeah, no, but it yeah. wasn't. There, like, yes, I did, but yeah. but I still like 
it's it still came out great like it's just but everything that could have gone wrong like you know like I got it mixed and then I had to get it mixed again and then maybe that mix wasn't great so we had to do it again so then maybe like I had to like ask Ali to do it as a favor and like mm-hmm. you know like oh my god I know you're busy but can you help me out like that type of stuff um and then I remember what else is there but the, it doesn't matter though. The greatest thing that the calling gave me was the real feeling of making it because I was in the studio and I'd hired a string section and the string section replayed all of the strings and that was like the moment. So that was the moment, like the arms up moment where you're like, I made it. That's it. Because you have a string section playing your strings. Like that's really dope. Like you, this is like a, a ma- like a marker that I've reached. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. I'm serious. I'm a serious yeah. professional. Yeah. That the string section made you feel mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And th- and after that, you were like, oh, whatever happens now, what, or you still had those expectations. Well, of course I had those expectations. <laughs> I was rehearsing a band for the Super Bowl. I was like, we're doing the Super Bowl. This is the time. This record, this one's the one. Yeah. You, what do you mean? Like you. Yeah, vi- I literally, I was like, we're doing Super Bowl with this album. Like this one's going to kick. This one's going to like, this is great. Like, how can you deny this? Like, this is so good. That was the intentions yeah, with because, the calling. Yeah, because yeah. And, and my friend, my friend, and it, it might have been Makai. It might have actually been Makai that was like, "You set out you, this. This album sounds like you have something to prove!" Exclamation and point. Like literally at the end of it, like you like because it was every like as poetic as lyric as I could think of. As like you know, I really went in on it. Like as the best vocal performance I could give, I tried to give the range. I tried to give like all the strings I gave. I was like, "Oh, drums." We replayed everything live. I had everything replayed live. Like it was such a big production with like just me like you know we just made it happen it was such a big production and then the band and choreography and like the whole thing like it was just so involved it was so very involved and it was so much fun mm. and you have fun you actually had enjoyed yourself putting of course. it together of course i mean i was a tortured being at the time but yes i was very excited mm. yeah because you went from aya to myrna mm-hmm. that was the process and uh I believe you said like was a, an, uh, like you were too comfortable being Aya. Mm-hmm. Aya was too comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like you needed to evolve. Mm-hmm. What happened? Well, I think you, I just got a little comfortable like sound son, like sonically, and I and then just like linking up with Makai and really crafting the sound together. Like it, it felt like oh my god, I found this voice and like the sound and it's so big and like it's too big for Aya like I don't know why I thought that I just think that I I think that I didn't want people to go because it was so different musically and sonically because the production changed so drastically that I didn't want people who didn't like Aya not to listen to this or the people who did like and expected something of me to not get that like I just wanted it to be very clear that like this is different guys this is different you know and then also like being tormented and being like i have to kill my ego here like or or the aya that i know like i was really depressed i'm like i have to off something so i just off the identity hmm myrna killed aya mm-hmm. that was a name for a while that was just for branding purposes we're like, like people don't know who myrna is like let's myrna killed aya and the calling is so dark that it made sense hmm. yeah it's so dark and like phantom of the opera melodramatic like they were like this makes sense so you really put all you went all in on the calling mm-hmm. you killed the name the branding mm-hmm. the music mm-hmm. and all that 100 were you scared of course like <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah what like what was like i guess what but was i'm it? brave whatever like separation anxiety i'm like kill it Yes, I was anxious. Yes, I cried after. Yes, I wrote songs about the funeral of Aya. Like it was like it was a thing. Whoa! Yeah, it was actually a really good one. It was like interludes, whatever. It was a thing, but like it was necessary, and it's great. And like now, literally, every time I'm too scared to do something, I'm just like, "Kid, I have to do it." Then, literally, if I if it terrifies me, I just have to do it. It might not even be the right thing to do. If it's terrifying, I just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Why? Like. Because there's, it's so exciting. Like, if you're going to live, you might as well live in the unknown and be like, okay, so what's next? Because then anything's possible. If you're going to live, you might as well be a risk taker. When, when did you, like, decide to do, like, when did that, when did you when become When I decided like to live. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, you know, whether you said it good or bad, but it's uh, uh it's the one thing that holds us, everybody, all humans back is fear. Yeah, yeah. Fear is a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Fear can, and regret is also poison. Mm-hmm. No, I I don't have time for that. I can't. I get too busy in whatever choice I make, anyways. I get I can't. You get too busy. In yeah, like there's choice. no time to sit and regret. So you just get too busy with stuff to do. Like, because usually my choices are the things. Usually my the choice that I'm making that's scary is the choice that equals a lot of work, 
Mm. A lot of uphill again, so I don't have time to stay. Ah. You know, it's like, okay. Like, I literally went from, like, I had, like, you know, like, all this exposure and whatever. So, like, blogs don't even know who Renee is. Nobody posted it. People are still not posting my stuff, really. Where I got everything. Like, well, I mean, they are, but, like, slowly, right? Like, it's not what it was before. Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask. So you changed the name. You put all this work into the calling, and then the calling came out, and what happened? Not much. <laughs> <laughs> not much listen i describe this like industry journey is like hey look behind door number one you open it nothing oh what's behind door number two nothing three maybe a little bit of something you know but you know what the calling did it helped me meet doc and ali it helped me learn how to produce better and mix better it like really gave me long life like lifelong friends like those things are really what's important so when you get past all the bullshit of like oh my god sob then you're like really this was great and it did happen for a reason and the universe did make it go this way so they can end up, end up doing songs like Looking back, you can say this. Of course. But in that moment, what were you feeling? In that moment, yeah. the calling flopped. A relationship of mine flopped. I was very sad. I was very depressed. I was never going to write a song again. It was horrible. I wanted to die. I went to therapy, like the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I smiled a really cheesy <laughs> smile. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, that's, that's it. That's it. Yeah, you, you, were, you were super depressed. Yeah, I was very depressed. Yeah, so Unison Benevolent Fund, right, for all, like, artists or managers, producers, like, you guys, like, anybody Unison who does something. Unison Be Be Benevolent Fund, I've seen that name before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Really, really amazing resource. Like, put me through, like, life care. Like, I, I literally, I was in depression care. Like, I literally lived because of that resource. Because it, essentially it's EAP for people that don't have insurance because we don't have regular jobs. Well, I do now, but at the time. Mm-hmm. So oh, if great. you're an artist, a creative, or... Yeah, that makes the majority of your money off music um, or the music industry, so managers, producers, whatever, um, event throwers, whatever it is, um, you need to go on that site, register, and then you can call. It's fully anonymous, like super private. They don't really ask you a bunch of questions. You can get like a Fitbit. They could send you into a, a nutritionist. You can have like um, therapy, couples, couples therapy, like domestic therapy, whatever it is you need, like stuff for your dependents too, like your kids can go to therapy. Like that's really important. Like, mental health is, like, really serious. As we can tell, like, you know, the people are killing themselves. Yeah. Legends are killing themselves. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, especially with, like, I, I feel like uh, artists or creatives, people don't know how to help them or mm -hmm. they don't know. It's not, like, one plus one equals yeah. two. It's just, like. Well, it's different for everybody, right? It's, like, not a one size fits all, mm -hmm. A. And then, B, like, depending on where you are, like, you either surround yourself with a bunch of yes men because it's enabling and it's easy or you don't, but people don't know how to deal with it. So like, so where I had, you know, hours of conversations with my sister, like trying to help me, it's like, it helps in the moment, maybe for about, you know, 20 seconds and then you're alone again and then it's not helping and you're back to shit. So it really like, you can talk till you're blue in the face with your friends. Like, you know, Juan? Juan Love? Juan called Unison Benevolent Fund on my behalf because I couldn't do it to get me an appointment, like to get me to talk to them. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of thing. So people, so people can help, but those are the types of things you have to do. Is like call Unison Benevolent Fund, go talk to somebody because it's the same as having like a stomach ache or a headache or something that you can't cure yourself, and you go to the doctor. It's the same thing, and it's not like they're not giving. It's therapy. It's not psychiatry. You're not getting a label and drugs. You're literally getting, hey, how about you cope with this, or how about you understand terms like catastrophizing, because that's a big deal, right? So that's what does that mean? It's it's literally like, oh, my boyfriend broke up with me. Now my, my whole life is shit. Oh, I lost my job today, so my whole life is shit. Oh, fuck, somebody cut me off on the street, now my whole life is shit. It's literally like making everything, making something everything, right? So like those types of things. And, and when you recognize and you watch yourself do these types of behaviors, you can start labeling them. And then you can kind of decondition yourself not to do them because everything is behavior and conditioning, right? So you're, you're lucky to have a friend who called and got you connected yeah, with the sure. Innocent Benevolent Fund. For sure. And they helped you. Yeah. And what happened after that? I was writing songs during that process. Mm -hmm. And and I think one of the things my therapist was like, you can't push the river right now because I, I just like to control everything and like force everything. So I'm, all this time I'm trying to force my career in the way that I wanted to go. She's like, you can't push the river. And so that was like a very big mantra for this record. Very big. So it's like literally about becoming, you know, the same way water can take shape in a container or whatever. Bruce Lee said it best. Like, that's what it is. So yeah, it did. It did all of that. It made me live my life. 
and where you came to this point of like <laughs> ego expectations all the external rewards and motive uh results like i don't give a fuck to the best of my ability in to the, the moment. To the best of your yeah. ability. Yeah, I mean, you, it you, mean you give a fuck, there, but yeah, yeah, you yeah. try not to give a fuck or you try to adjust. Or like I said, I'm human, so it creeps back up. But then the best thing you can do is like recognize, and this is a big thing, like from reading like The Power of Now or whatever. And therapy didn't give me all these things. I'm a little like extra. Mm-hmm. And I like to philosophize, but I'm, and I'm an extremist or whatever that is. That's what my mother says. So essentially, it's like recognizing you have your human body and experience and you have your spiritual Right. And that if your spiritual starts to recognize the, the condition of your human body and body experience, then you can start watching yourself um, and supporting yourself in that moment. So no matter what happens, in your physical presence, whether it's albums or, you know, whatever it is, your family loves you, hates you, cares, you lose your job, whatever it is, is like not letting that catastrophize and take over your entire spiritual being and then fuck up your life. Because those situations... <laughs> We're powerful, basically. Like, our spirits are powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, our spiritual being is so powerful. Like, the real meaning and essence of life and connecting and, like, being in this room with people, like, that's way more important. Hmm. And, yeah, so th- that... The, the the Power of Now by Eckhart mm-hmm, Tolle mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is a book that uh, you totally. said changed your life. You picked up this book and it gave you... Where did you read that? Uh, a different... Did I just of, say that or you find that somewhere? I found it somewhere. Oh. It gave you a different... <laughs> it gave you a different... Uh, kind of perspective computer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I do my research yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, how did this book help you and change you in a world did, I mean it just yeah. helped it just helped yeah. in, in that way like in understanding like the physical body between, and the spirit body like that's that comes from there that's what I'm saying I'm philosophizing but, you know or like understanding now versus past and future and I'm very I'd been very depressed and very anxious so I guess I was living in both you know but not really taking in the moments or taking them in and then forgetting very quickly when bad things happen so I would take in all the good moments but then when the bad things happen then I was just living in shit instead of being like oh this is actually a great moment like because all of those things are temporary and I'm not preaching from my own device this is like mm-hmm. his teachings are from the book or whatever you know all- and, and take it for a grain of salt there's some things in the book I didn't agree with but like nonetheless like these they, these are the lessons or these are the things that really made sense and, and resonated with my life all these things are temporary and negative or positive mm-hmm. I can get something out of this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's how sounds even the positive is temporary like take heed even the what? Positive is temporary, right? Like everything is temporary. Mm. So that's, I believe, so Sans was born out of that. Yeah. That realization, you're in that moment, you're alone, you're like, yo. Well, it's not realizing yeah. that everything's yeah. temporary because yeah. you already know that when you have separation anxiety because shit keeps getting taken away from you. True. But it's accepting it. Like it's literally accepting it. Like I was doing a bunch of like writing sessions last summer. And I was sitting with the artist that we were writing for, and he was like, hey, you just met my life coach. And I'm like, oh, yeah, and I'm in therapy. And he was like, you know, we were talking about impermanence randomly, but it was like right on time for my life. And I'm like, this is exactly what I'm talking about, this idea of impermanence. Well, how do I achieve it? And he was like, you just accept it. At the beginning of everything, you note this will end. I'm like, but isn't that negative? He's like, no, it's realistic. Whether it's the movie you're on, whether it's the job you're on, whether it's the relationship you're in, whether it's your life, whether it's your sickness, whatever it is, like you go, this too shall pass. Like this actually is going to end. So as soon as you enter something and accepting that it's not going to be forever, like even if you're married forever for the rest of your lives, inshallah, whatever, somebody passes away first, maybe, most probably, what do you do? Like you just have to know like, yo, you, then that's how you, that's how you encourage yourself to like live in those moments and like really make a choice every day to like be present and be the best you can or do what you can because it's all going to end. It's funny that way, right? Like it's actually makes it more jovial and fun when you're like, oh, who cares? This is going to end anyway. It's like, I don't know if you guys have this, but it's like when I dream, I have, uh, I guess they're lucid dreams, whatever they're they're lucid dreams. No, they're lucid dreams, but they're also dreams where like, I literally, I go into like, oh my God, I'm going to fall off the cliff. Oh yeah, you're dreaming. Oh, who cares? Fall. Literally, while I'm sleeping. So, it's literally that. And that, so that's what the song, The Exception, is about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, the nothing is forever, change is the only constant, is, mm-hmm. that's what you say in the song. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's been a concept that you've been struggling with for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Like, since I was two. Since you were two. <laughs> <laughs> but, and funny enough, because no you shit. were traveling like, really? all the time, how, like, you shouldn't, you know, like, what, what was the struggle? Like, why are we struggling with it if you say you're moving every few years? Well, because years when you're two or three or four and five and seven and eight and ten, you just want your toys and you just want your bed and you just want your guitar and you just want your friends and you just want your grandmother and you just want 
the house or whatever you know what i mean like you don't understand these concepts even now as adults like what are the, the top stressors one of them's moving one of them's changing your jobs one of them's divorced like those are all changed that's very stressful those things are tra traumas actually right so for children like those are of that's of the top trauma is moving i mean like if you, had you told my parents maybe they wouldn't have done it so much but like they weren't they were thinking hey, let's get a better life let's do this to get better in in life and give them better right mm -hmm. that's what it is it is traumatic right we're just we're conditioned to like I don't know. Maybe we just want and want to keep and hold on to. Like and and the other thing is youth. Like we try to hold on to that too. I'm turning 32 next month. Whatever. How do you how do you deal with that? I've never said that in an interview. For, someone was like, "You should say you're 26." Fuck off. Why? What? I don't know. I'm like I don't sing like I'm 26. I don't I have things to say like I don't Anyways, but yeah, how do I deal with what? With getting older. With aging. Oh, so far it's been great. My 29th birthday. 29th birthday I was in like I was really depressed but my sisters and my sister's now husband took me to Wonderland and I had a great time almost died on the behemoth or whatever my 30th birthday Will Smith gave me a lap dance on my 31st birthday hold on are you serious yeah I have the video on the th I'll show you after on the 31st <laughs> we were, we, like for fun like it was a joke on my 31st birthday I I had a b birthday barbecue right and I was shit scared nobody would come to because you know I have this thing where if I have a party no one's gonna come because of the kid thing so I had this party and like 30 people came everybody invited and they came to my condo downtown which is great because it was the first time I had like my own place like in a stable manner because I have like this other job now and then this year next week me and my partner are gonna be in Barcelona and, and, and Paris Paris on my birthday so shit like every year it just gets better I know the time won't wait for no man So what makes this the exception But nothing lasts forever And what makes this the exception Of change is the only constant They can depend on No, 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 no As it stands, I can hardly Baby, give me a reason No, it's the moral of the story Give me something that I can believe in I hold on to When nights are cold and lonely yeah. Lonely, yeah. I know the time won't wait for no man so what makes this the exception when nothing lasts forever? And what makes this the exception if change is the only constant? We can depend on. Let's talk a little bit more about the pattern that I've come across with artists who say quit. A full-time job to try to be successful but then mm -hmm. as i said before they're choking it they're adding way too much pressure to the thing mm -hmm. they love mm -hmm. and uh you know, had lou breeze not on too long ago and he was doing roofing for a summer mm -hmm. uh and he was bringing money in he bought a car he's doing mm -hmm. all these things and like uh he actually thought about quitting music because all this money was coming in but then you know person in his life told him hey you're doing this for music but mm -hmm. having the balance of having a full-time job mm -hmm. that's paying your bills mm -hmm. and then coming home relaxing and then maybe working on your music mm -hmm. yeah, uh, you're not making music when you're that depressed like when you're yeah. a little depressed you put it in the music you make great sad songs everybody loves them they're hits when you're very depressed you're not doing anything you're in the bed and you can't get out you have no motivation you have nothing you're so like you're starving so but the balance of having something to pay your bills mm -hmm. and then you can create when you want to how mm -hmm. does that feel it's great it takes all the pressure off it actually like i have i have quality time that like i have time is money and time is of the essence and i'm like super busy and so i literally like have to make time for it and i'm happy to make time for it and it and i need it i need it to balance me out because if all i do is this day job then i'm not a human being like i'm not myself i'm like this zombie that goes to work even as much as i love the job so i have to do both to like have a balance and if all i do is music then i'm just like this like flailing me personally, not everybody else, me personally, this flailing being who's like just doing that and like has no like grounding and I need to be grounded in that Structure. way. I need a schedule. Structure. I need to have to wake up in the morning and go to work because if I'm depressed, like I can't be depressed today, be like, I'm going to stay in bed for a week. Like, I can't do that now. I have to go. 
And as soon as you take a shower and you put on your clothes and you get ready for and you go out for your day, you feel better automatically. Maybe not like everything's curved, but you feel better. And like as your day goes on, you get better and better and then you forget and you mm-hmm. have a great day and then you end it. And then maybe the night's a little cold if you're like single or something and then you're like you and then you go back to it like so it's but you need i need structure and that really helps and that's the thing it forces you no mm-hmm. matter what like if you were, I have to pay my bills yeah <laughs> i have to go you have to go you have to get up even no matter I love what. It, yeah. even if you don't feel like yeah, it, you, you have gotta to go. go yeah so that's working out really well yeah, yeah so uh why do you continue to make music then why is it important for you to continue to make music music is me i am music like i have to make music like i am music everything i hear everything i do is music everything i see is music like I just have to. But also, I remember t- uh, talking to you last week when I was trying to get this interview. You were like, I don't listen to nothing. You like silence a lot. No, well, I listen to some things. Okay. But um, especially when I'm forced to. But <laughs> Forced to. Like when I'm driving, I drive in silence. Or That's the thing that confuses people. And that's what I was referring to specifically. Because like, I don't, unless it's a road trip, like long road trips, like if I'm driving to Philly or something, I'm listening to music the entire way. But if I'm just, you know, going from here to home or here to see my parents or whatever it is, I'm, I just drive in silence. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. And you like what? Yeah, sometimes because you, like you, you need quiet. Sometimes, like, and when you're driving, you don't. You're not doing too much thinking for some reason. Like, I don't know why driving is really like meditational. So it's just quiet and like peaceful. Hmm. Yeah. Where do you get like uh, what? What is the most recent thing that's maybe inspiring you, right now? Art. Like hundred percent art, like visual art. Visual art. Yeah. Yeah, because. Yeah. Uh, I think you said through this process of making this album, you were able to express yourself in ways mm-hmm. you never have. You feel like mm-hmm. it's your most honest work. Tell mm-hmm. us about that. I'm, it's, uh, I'm doing a lot of collaborations. Like So this work is like really quiet and minimal and there's a lot of space. And the space introduces this concept of collaboration. Because um, the first couple songs I did for this album, I did to collaborate with another producer because I wanted to give them to him to like do other things with. But so it, so it creates this concept of space and collaboration. And what that does is allow for this concept, if not just the music, but the concept to translate into other things. So like I took this and then I, I did like audio film scoring, which is like the genre I'm creating in my mind, audio film scores and audio films. So I scored the album. You score movies, I score the album. So I scored the album. And then I thought, how is this? What a great way to present this if I move my home studio into, you know, like this gallery space and invite people to come and like be in my space, but not in my space. And I, and be in a group of people, in, in a room with a group of people, but isolate themselves and listen to the score that caused this album. And it's a very emotional score. And then I thought, oh my God, I, so I want to score films. Well, nobody's giving me films to score currently. Why don't I get a camera and start shooting some things? So I got a camera and started shooting some things. Then I thought, hey, I, I well, since I self-produced and did all this stuff for this album, my friend Sean at Pirates Blend was like, why don't you direct the videos? I'm like, why don't I? So we apply for Much Fact and we get it and I direct three videos. And like, so like expressing myself in this visual manner is really great. And plus like I'm with Ashley every day and she's a visual artist. So just being around that, that's like really inspiring and um it's very cool. It's like mm. an extension of that. And then now I'm like writing on a TV show, which is cool because it's another way to storytell or song, right? Not song, mm. but storytell. So th- those kinds of things are really interesting. How do they feel? Do you feel more fun. alive fun. or no? Fun, yeah. Or, like yeah. the business case is fun. It's literally everything is fun. Yeah. Good thing you're still here. Of course. I'm glad you're still here. Thanks, me too. <laughs> of course. I'll never leave. You guys are stuck with me. Okay, yeah. You'd be like, did she stop putting out music? Oh, here comes another album. Yeah, I'm glad, man. That you're coming. You're it seems like you're in a better space. Or yeah, I'm space. in a really good space. That's awesome. Like I'm really laid back and chill. Like I don't, you know, but I'm in a really good space. Maybe that's why. <laughs> like it's I'm not bouncing off because... walls anymore like I used to be. Like you might see like little glimpses of it, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm just very. Like, Once again, you're good. doing this for sharing. You mm-hmm. Continue to tell yourself mm-hmm. that, but mm-hmm. I've noticed as, as well too. And and there's been artists that uh, you know. Uh, who was it? Sean Price. When when he start stopped giving the fuck about what people thought or the radio playing mm-hmm. his shit or whatever, mm-hmm. he was like, uh, that's when people started playing my shit. That's mm-hmm. when people started giving me support when I stopped caring. Oh, yeah, 100%. When you just stop or you're attached to that, then 
maybe 100%. things happen from there. A hundred percent. I started to go into like writing meetings where I just was selling like songs and like in LA and they'd be like, and I'd just be sitting in the back with my hoodie and like not giving a fuck at all. And they're like, I'm, and then I'm with Ali, whatever. And they're like, so you don't want to be an artist? And I'm like, fuck, this is hilarious. I've been trying my ass off to be an artist for like 12 fucking years. Now you're asking me if I want to be an artist. And I'm like, it's whatever. <laughs> like, mm. like you go through, it's like, what the fuck? It's whatever. <laughs> okay. You get people come to you. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's crazy. You're like, okay. Uh, Bert, what, what do you want to tell the fellow creatives, especially now that, um, I guess, I guess first, what, what do you make of the of what's happening in the energy in Toronto now, and the attention, not only internationally yeah. but locally. Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you make of it, honestly? Well, we've had attention. Yeah. For, like Drake's been out for how long? Is it four, five, six years now? Like uh, we had attention yeah. with like Cardi and Maestro, like you know, like definitely like the 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 founders of, I guess, urban music or the people who started to give attention, and then. You know, I you know, like Rihanna was shooting videos here. Like X is a, is a staple. Like X was shooting videos for a long time, bringing people out here. So like you know, um, reggae music was coming out of here. So Toronto's had attention for a very a very long time. Drake really kind of blew it out the park, um, as we all know. And so he's been out for a while. And so the attention's been on for a while. And I think it's great what's happening in the city. There's a lot of really cool young people. Places like the Remix Project really like help shine a light on a lot of people. And a lot of people went through there. Mm. Um, I mean, I work there, so it's it's a great thing. Um, you know, I don't like Toronto's cool. Like, I, I think people are doing their thing. And it's it's a really good energy in the air. You don't have to go anywhere else. I mean, it, Toronto's the best place to make things, to make things. So make everything here. Um, and then where you go from there is, is up to destiny. What would you like to say to fellow artists, creatives who are, you know, maybe in their teens, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, some of them may go through the same things that you've went through. Mm-hmm. Depression is very common, obviously, mm-hmm. all those type of things. What would you like to say from your own perspective, your own experience? I, I think you could, I think you can take something out of everything that was said in this interview, but because it's it's at the end of the day it's like it's your journey right but um so i can't say much but um definitely don't fall into the starving artist myth because it's bullshit um don't starve to the point where you die like really feed your soul feel your feed your balance you know feel your feed your spirit um and uh and like keep making art like really good art and like break ground like don't do what other people are doing like go back and research and like Try, don't try to do better than Kanye. Try to do better than Andre. Like, don't try to, you know, don't try to do better than Beyonce. Try to do better than Nina Simone. Like, really, like, if you're going to compete, like, go back and, like, really compete with the people who influence the people who influence the people. Like, create a new genre. Like, just do crazy new things. Like, don't be scared. Mm. That's the most I have to say. Mm. Is there anything else that you wanted to say to the people who listened to this interview and the people who supported you and also the new fans them? Yeah, right thanks. Now. This really, really means a lot more than ever before. It's it's a lot of fun. W- when the intention is to share and to connect, then the people mean the most, right? So, hmm. thanks. Thank you, Marina, thank for your you, time. Thank you, Basically, thank you, Chato. Yo, thank you for listening for my interview with Marina. I'm so happy that she was able to share with us, and I'd love to know your thoughts of this conversation. Hit me at the Come Up Show on Twitter. If you are new to the Come Up Show podcast, please subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere and everywhere you can find your podcast. All the full information is available at thecomeupshow.com slash podcast. Check out our previous interviews. I know there's something there for you. Next Wednesday, we'll be taking a break because the long holiday weekend, so there will not be a new episode next Wednesday. Please take note. I know we do a good job on being consistent, but we got to take a break sometimes too. We've been killing it this summer. I don't know if you've been noticing. (laughs) Thank you for listening, y'all. Peace.